Welcome to Everyday Driver, where cars are more than just transportation. They're freedom, a common ground, a way to grow, and can even make life better. We're here to help everyone find a car they love and discover all the ways cars connect us. I'm Todd. I'm Paul. And this is The Car Debate. Oh, the ranting that was not part of this podcast. We've actually had conversations recently about taking this podcast to a live stream format all the time, actually, because we've enjoyed them. We've enjoyed when we've been on camera yeah, right, and, and kind of right, having that yep. as well. We've talked about taking it live stream, but mm, there is some editing that occurs because there are some things that we say that keep this podcast less than family friendly. And so that stuff gets well, removed. Sometimes and, there's you know. things we have to get off our chest. Yes. And we have so, to do it either before or in the middle or we'll see. Things. There's that's being discussed. Thank you guys for being with us. By the way, huge. Huge thank you. Happy Tuesday. Uh, you've made a very happy Tuesday for us because you showed up and watched that eight-car piece. Yeah, wow. absolutely. Thank you, guys. That is the Cheap Sports Car Challenge eight-car film released on our main YouTube channel. But coming this Thursday, it is September 2, 2021. It's the yep. five-car film. So this is the culmination of all of our choices mm-hmm. and all, all of our conclusions. But good news, many of you have asked for our, our original TV format where mm-hmm. we're both driving both yep. cars yep. and intercut rather than both of us in the same car. So that is the purpose of the five car film mm-hmm. that gives a little bit more background history and more in depth of our feelings and how the cars drive. So it's yeah, yeah. still another 40 minute or It'll so probably film. Be a better part of 40 minutes again. Yeah. These two together are but, more than a feature film that we made in four weeks. Yeah. Right. Huh? But different commentary. Absolutely. It's completely specific new stuff. to those cars yes. and more of a back and forth about that. So that is de- definitely coming Thursday, September two also on the test drive channel. Mm-hmm. The MR2 standalone review yep. and the Porsche Boxster standalone review will yep. also be coming the same day. So that way, everything gets finished up, wrapped up this Thursday. We're finishing Cheap Sports Car Month with thing. a bang. Yeah. Yeah. We, we, of course, we're actually, we had so much stuff in Cheap Sports Car Month, it's actually dribbled its way into the next month. Beginning <laughs> of September. Has. It's been a lot. We're excited. At this point, you can also still enter our raffle, but I found mm-hmm. out apparently in Utah it is called an opportunity drawing. A sweepstakes. It's just opportunity. Here's a drawing for an opportunity. Void where prohibited. Pretty much. No purchase necessary. All the disclaimers that we might come up with, you know, I don't know, your your experience will vary. What other ones can we pull up? It will vary. Yeah, for sure. But But they they exist. Here it is on everydaydriver.com. So go there and you can enter our opportunity drawing. There's an opportunity on the website. <laughs> it is an opportunity. These cars are they're they're full of opportunity, aren't they? The, the Z4 oh, and the SLK, they're full well, of opportunity. There's opportunity to spend yes. money to make them run properly and the tops to go down. Mm-hmm. There's the, that as oh, well. With the button. Also, TV Season 9 continues through September. It is coming soon to streaming to all of our streaming platforms mm-hmm. as well. And we can't thank our TV sponsors enough. Yep. Haggerty, Griot's Garage, Covercraft, and Autotempest.com slash everyday. Griot's, you can use the code EDRIVER, and Covercraft is everyday21 for the code. This there. past weekend was our Super SUVs episode. This coming Saturday morning is Beaver and Horse again. We're very excited about that so one. So funny. It's happening, Beaver and Horse. Oh, it's so and funny. it's coming to YouTube eventually as well. When your car needs new brakes, it's a great time to upgrade for better stopping power. We're excited to partner with Power Stop Brakes for an easy way to get more performance from something you already need. PowerStop is on a mission to deliver better brakes on every vehicle in every situation from daily commuting to towing to track days. These are all bolt-on, direct-fit parts for better braking, no modifications required. Every PowerStop Complete Brake Kit comes with all the parts you need to upgrade your brakes, including pads, rotors, and even those little clips and fasteners. Plus, all their pads are made from a carbon fiber ceramic compound, which they've tested extensively to deliver low dust and noise-free performance. So the next time you need brakes or you simply want to upgrade, visit PowerStop.com and enter your vehicle's information into their easy-to-use car finder. We even found great kits for our SUVs and our cheap sports cars. 
Give your everyday driver the easy and affordable performance upgrade it deserves at PowerStop.com. Our topic Tuesday comes from Chance, our shooter, Chance Hayes. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Because of all the comments on our Cheap Sports Car Challenge comments, Mm -hmm. starting to approach, at this point, 800 comments, which is fantastic. And again, thank you guys for making this. We want this to be a one million view film. Yep, for sure. And people throw the word definitive around. (laughs) but from We're going to be definitive about our desire for this to be definitive. Well, very true. Kind of. (laughs) Maybe. From the standpoint that these cars will always be shopped, we hope they're always around, and we hope they're always a low price so we can enjoy, we you know mm-hmm. get enthusiasts into a fun car. But Chance brought up this point. He said, noticing the comments, at what point do we all consider a car to be unreliable? Mm. And he says, he texted Todd, both Todd and I, and he said, when it needs things like the SLK or the Maserati did or the mm-hmm. front suspension to the Phaeton that you there bought, was, knowing that, is, that that would happen. I, would, I knew did. it was going to happen, and I had it in about a week. Surprise, yep, it, it did. Mm-hmm. But then they're still in decent running order. It needs things to yeah. continue yeah, yeah. to be a car. Or... Is it when cars start to leave you stranded on a regular basis Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. or constant check engine lights because of failing sensors, but they still actually run fine. So you think you have a, might have a vacuum leak, but it still runs fine. Yeah, for sure. Maybe it idles a little high. Or he says, is it when parts are simply needing to be replaced because they are worn out, Mm -hmm. which I thought was an excellent question because on these YouTube comments, everybody has their opinion. Which is fine, but there's the prevailing, well, don't buy a German car. Absolutely not. Why would you ever do that? Which is exactly why we did. (laughs) Precisely. (laughs) And we spent the last year enjoying these German cars that have cost us less than the Maserati and the Phaeton. Which is kind of a low bar, but still, it's very, so. very, very good. But, but honestly, <laughs> thank you, Captain Obvious. Right? I think less than we both expected, though. Agreed to that. They've been yes. surprisingly yes. reliable, and I will define reliable as, in this case, just needs nothing. They've kind of just yeah. said, "Yeah, I'll run." Sure. There was a book that I bought when I was a kid, and I forget the author, but it was something about drive your car forever. I think that was kind yeah. of the name of the title. Sure. And the author in there, I forget who it was, but was making the point that theoretically we could all drive our cars forever mm-hmm. and just continue to replace parts because car manufacturers will continue to make the parts, all of those suppliers, Hopefully, yeah. because that's just good business because things wear out just like furniture components, a armrest on a chair. It's, it's good business for Herman Miller to continue to make those armrests because mm-hmm. people are using the chairs and instead of buying a new chair, just get the new armrest and bolt it on. Same thing with cars. Just continue to use our cars and theoretically you could drive them forever. But the ocean of reality states (laughs) that we get tired of our cars. Yes. We don't want to drive them forever because there's always something fresh and new. And that's Mm -hmm. what car companies need to capitalize on and are trying so desperately to attract dollars Mm -hmm. because they want you to think your old car is just old and you're tired of it and here's the new hotness with the new technology and that is the Mm -hmm. basis upon which ad campaigns are formed (laughs) look at the new insert cool new feature or technology here that your car doesn't have and ours does you can lease or buy run down to your nearest dealer because we're not making anymore Mm -hmm. just kidding we are (laughs) so where do we stand on this and specifically about the cheap car challenge we could start there But yes, the common perception on the internet is oh, a cheap German car. You're just going to be nickel and dime for the rest mm-hmm. of your life. You idiot. Why mm-hmm. would you do that? <laughs> Buy Japanese. We're enjoying just leaning into being idiots. That, that's actually been the fun of the last two years of just <laughs> buying the cars that... It's kind of fun. We, we, the, we, we bought b- both rounds, the sedans and then these cheap sports cars. We bought them absolutely fully knowing... Continuing the idiocy. These are going to cost money. Yep. And these yep. could be catastrophic. Now, we tried to buy smart, but we knew going in these could be catastrophic. 
catastrophic. And to you, the thing you said earlier, I think I'd had the Phaeton a week and the front shocks failed. And I had read every warning on the planet. Yeah. You buy an 04, the yeah. front shocks will probably fail. Guess what? It was practically like I put a, a timer above the car and it just dinged. So the... <laughs> It's like an egg timer. Seriously, for when your practically what? Now, now the Phaeton. Here's the, here's the interesting thing about the Phaeton. For the whole year I had, and I talked about this in our wrap ups and in in the long series. If you want to watch that on YouTube, it is there. We have a full playlist for all of these. That car was on about a thirty day timer. About every month, it was like I got tapped on the shoulder by the car, and it said, "Excuse me, but I'd really like you to to fix this now." Okay. Now, with okay. the exception of the suspension. Nothing was catastrophic. Nothing was a situation where the car won't run. But if I had wanted to keep that car pristine, just about every 30 days, there was like a, oh, that now. I really ought to address that. Now, there's two parts of that equation. One is the car was more than 10 years old. The other is the car was hyper complex when it came out, which means the more complex something is, the more stuff can break. And guess what? It was breaking. And it also had a lot of mileage, which is a time when stuff starts to wear out. And we... We're as casual as can be. Our local mechanics, they would call us with the bad news, and we would laugh. Bad news, I don't want to work on your car anymore. They would la- I would laugh. They would call with this trepidation. Second or third phone call in, they realized I was okay with it. But they would call with the trepidation <laughs> like, Todd, um, so about the Phaeton. And then they'd tell me, and I'd just start laughing because that's what it needed. Which they weren't expecting. They weren't. They were They're expecting me to yell They're used to dealing with them. owners. They're like, yes. you did what? You're going to charge me what? Angry, angry. I, yeah. No. For, for me, reliability comes down to I can count on it. Now. You can't right. count on anything in your life all of the time. People, your television, your internet. Every now and then, stuff fails. Sure. So if a car sure. decides to not start today or has a random problem today, but it hasn't done it for six months or a year, I don't consider that car unreliable. I just consider that life. The fate yeah. of needing something yeah. every month, that would really have stressed me out if it was my only car. Now, most of it, it just kept running. But needing something every month, that's a, that's a real nickel and dime situation where it's like, I would rather be paying more every month than not have to think about you all the time. Okay, I've got a hypothetical for sure, you. Sure, sure. K- kind of that. I, I don't know how much you can answer this, but answer it in percentages, I suppose. Okay, sure. And that is what you brought up. First of all, it hasn't really been maintained too well, and it kind of sat, and you bought it for $5,000, yeah, yeah, yeah. and they dropped off a cliff in value. Mm-hmm. That held up against how hyper-complex they were to begin sure. with. Sure. It was built on the same assembly line as Bentley's. Mm -hmm. So what's the breakdown between the reason people have this perception about, we'll say the Phaeton in particular, 79% because it wasn't really maintained. Because if you had, the question is, had you read about owners on these forums, that year is known to break. Okay. But other stuff, were they having pretty reliable cars? Because what I was hearing is people going, I've got 239,000 miles in my car. I've replaced that stuff, but... She goes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That was kind of the prevailing thing if you take care of it. I think, I think that's one of those things, and, and Range Rovers fall in this category right now today. Whatever, whatever you listen to this podcast, probably in 2035. That's true. Still going to be true today. Range Rovers pack so much stuff into their cars. They are big SUVs with S-class style technology for luxury and also a full uh, four-wheel drive off-road running gear, all slammed into one thing with, with air shocks. Too much. Guess what? It breaks. This is why people have Miatas from the 90s with hundreds of thousands of miles on them. They're like, all it does is run. There's nothing to break there. That's tech from the 40s on a Miata. Yeah, okay? Yeah. So when you're doing cutting-edge tech, this is why S-Classes and, and, and the Phaeton and the Maseratis, why they all plummet, because all of that tech is cutting-edge, which means it's going to go wrong. And there's so many systems interchanged or on top of each other. Just percentage-wise, more can go wrong. I bet you... If you had a Phaeton you took wonderful care of 
it probably would have been about twice as reliable as mine. Meaning every other month, every two or three months, <laughs> maybe twice a year, it says, excuse me, but it's still going to say, excuse me, because that tech is wearing out, getting old and was everything they had at the time. Mm-hmm. You buy mm-hmm. a Miata and there's nothing to break. So there is that category. It's one of the reasons why my wife's Cayenne has been so reliable. It's a base Cayenne. It's a V6. It was used elsewhere in the Volkswagen lineup. It was all the heavy-duty chassis that they built to handle Turbo S. Mm-hmm. People with Turbo mm-hmm. S's had issues. There's a lot of tech going on. Yeah, so I think the, sure. the, the overwhelming amount of tech is an issue. Age is a second issue. But I will say this. If you have a car over 100,000 miles and it needs stuff, that car's not unreliable. That car's old. Sure, although I, I think 200,000 is now the benchmark sure, for but, what 100,000 used to be. But 100 to 120, a lot of your rubber and consumable parts that you don't normally think of, you, don't, you think of tires, but you don't think of suspension, you don't think of bushings, this kind of stuff. A lot of that stuff is just worn out. Mm-hmm. And it's easy for us as car owners, when my car's got 120,000 miles and there's that much I'm supposed to do at 120,000, yeah, it's got a lot of miles. It's not unreliable. It's worn out. Coming into SLK ownership. I, <laughs> <laughs> There's a sentence you never thought you'd say. Walk through that door. Uh-huh. That's an interesting door. I got it because I wanted to not do a pre-purchase inspection because <laughs> I wanted to buy it on emotion and have us buy something we didn't thoroughly vet Yeah. for purposes yep. of the show, for purposes of the video, knowing, mm-hmm. not hoping, but knowing stuff could go wrong. Yeah. And after buying it, then I dug into the forums And then I discovered this particular engine Mm -hmm. from this particular Mm -hmm. year, an 06 SLK 280. They had engine problems. I believe the engine code is W127. Correct me if I'm wrong. But I found this and I thought, does that apply in my car? Sure enough, it does. Mm -hmm. And I bought it not having any maintenance records. So I didn't know if this particular thing had been fixed by the dealer or not under warranty under this class action lawsuit, which was the balance shaft at the point of the V of the V six, a balance shaft above the crank where the time, I believe it was timing chain ran through this and it was simply to counteract the vibration V six. Yeah. So it was designed to do that. And apparently it worked for a while until it didn't. (laughs) And the chain jumped the sprocket, which means, Things would touch each other inside the engine. That we're not supposed to be touching. They weren't supposed to be touching. Yeah. And so catastrophic engine failure. And it, it happened enough where it was a class action lawsuit. Well, think about Porsche. They've had class action lawsuits from mm-hmm. IMS. BMW has. Almost every car manufacturer. So I enter car ownership and kind of always had thinking, these are complex things. They're put mm-hmm. together by humans. Eventually stuff's not going to work. So I don't have the expectation that it needs to run like my toaster. Mm-hmm. It needs to run like my phone at all times. It just works at all times because cars are driven hard. Your house isn't driven very hard. <laughs> yeah. It's not, you know what I mean? Your house has never even been down the block. I'd it, like to say that it's it, true. It has stayed parked. <laughs> Bad example, but <laughs> I'm with you. Cars, it, cars yeah. are beat on They're mm-hmm. you know, left out in the sun, you know, the mm-hmm. elements and they're driven hard and all that kind of stuff. And they're subjected to things that other products in your life simply aren't yeah, the grease yeah. and road tar getting up in your engine mm-hmm. and your crank seals. And that's why seals fail and sunlight and all that stuff. And so for a car to not pester me with things that it needs, especially as it gets older, I consider that to be reliable. Mm-hmm. Now to answer your question, the answer chances question is yes. If it leaves me stranded regularly or it's in the shop, especially the newer the car is, yes, that yes. becomes mm-hmm. unacceptable. That Completely. means yeah. design and engineering flaws. Mm-hmm. Well, you didn't address those, and that's a big problem. That makes me not want the car. It was built at a Thursday at 5 o'clock before a Friday that we had off. 
Right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> the rest of them were fine, but this Honda Accord is a lemon. <laughs> that happens. It does. But here, we've spent a year with the Z4 and the SLK. Yep. Yep. Both cars have fired right up every time. Absolutely. I keep thinking the SLK wouldn't. I left it for a week in the coldest weather of the winter. Mm-hmm. Bam, fired right up. The Z4 had less trouble handling our awful winter than any winter car I've parked outside, which amazes These me. These are the two cheap, scary German cars. Yep. yep. You could also chalk that up to saying, well, you guys got a couple of good ones inexplicably. Well, maybe. Maybe, but we bought them pretty cheap, mm-hmm. and neither of them came with service records. We just went out there on a limb and just thought, okay, Todd yeah. picked his up in yeah. Phoenix. No service records. I picked mine up. Well, it had it shipped to me from Florida. The mm-hmm. owner didn't have any service records. Nothing. Yeah. It had the owner's manual. I was mm-hmm. lucky to get that. Mm-hmm. The car has just run. Yeah. He said one of the coil packs went, and it was like 30 or 40 bucks to have replaced. And other than that, the car has been great. And I thought, <gasps> but then I found out about this engine catastrophic failure thing. I remember you called me, and we were like, guess what I just discovered well, about yeah, this car? And I, I thought, well, shoot, this is going to cost the show a whole bunch of money, and it's mm-hmm. going mm-hmm. to be way underwater, and nobody's going to want the car. And here it has just run and run well. And we've drag raced them. We've taught people we to have. stick. We've taken them on 1,100 mile road trips. We've driven them to errands and mm-hmm. all kinds of just daily use sorts of things. Absolutely, yep. Driven and driven and driven them. And here they just keep running. Mm-hmm. Now, they need stuff. So if you want it to all to operate well, well, sure, you're going to have to start dumping money in. But then at what point does, does your threshold lower? Yeah. And you say, okay, yeah. the top doesn't go down anymore. All right, the nothing about the command system or the radio or the nav works. <laughs> you know what? I've got my phone. Okay. I'll just stick Google earth on the dash and we'll be good. Yeah. I couldn't be more impressed with Mercedes. Everybody's budget's going to vary here, of course, but a rough rule for me has always been if the car is costing me a near equivalent to me having a car payment, I need to go get a car payment. Mm. If mm-hmm. I have a car, maybe I own it outright, like we do with these cheap sports cars, but it's it's two $300 a month. Now, it might be like it went three months, and then it hits you with $1,200. It might not be every single month, mm-hmm. but if I actually amortize it out and see what the monthly is, if this car is costing me a monthly payment, it must go. Not kind of go, must go. And the leave you stranded thing is entirely unacceptable. The car, you've had it for five years, and you know what? It left me stranded today, and then I got that big thing fixed. That's not an unreliable car. That's a car you've driven and had. Right. I've right. had this car for a year and it's left me stranded four times. That car needs to go. Yeah, I hear you. At this point, it really does come down to your comfort level because emotion is definitely involved in all of this stuff. Mm-hmm. You ended up loving that Phaeton. And so your tolerance level for this car picking at you and yeah. picking at your budget yeah, yeah. was lower. Mm-hmm. With the Maserati, I thought, I can't believe it runs. <laughs> The fact that it runs, great. I don't care if anything else works. By the way, I never opened the sunroof. Just on principle alone. You were terrified. I was terrified. I opened the one on the Phaeton quite a few times. I was always terrified, but I opened it for sure. I just thought, what's going to happen? Dust is going to poof out of there and something's going to go wrong. The scariest moment of the Phaeton every time I opened the sunroof was turning that roof switch back to close it. I would turn it and pray because it was like, if it doesn't close, I'm literally like guy with trash bag and gaffer tape. That's where I'm left. Totally. So it's opening it was always like, hey, it opens. Isn't that cool? That's really awesome. I like the airflow there. And okay, everybody hold your breath. We're going the other way. Exactly. So if parts need to be replaced because they're worn out, as Chance says, that's just part of car ownership. That's life, yeah. That's part of any kind of ownership. Your fridge, the water dispenser in your fridge could just inexplicably 
let go and soak your whole wood floor and you, drain through to the lower level. To you, Paul? Yeah, and then huh. ruin the carpet and mm-hmm. the fridge is done at that point because of age. <laughs> yeah. It just happens. It's a thing. It's put together. If it can be built, it can be unbuilt. That's it true. It can wear out. It can break stuff. So for sure. we all have to consider the emotion because it now, if you decide, all right, I still love the car, gritting my teeth. I still love my car. I still love driving it. And then there, there will be those days when everything will just be running. It'll mm-hmm. be just tuned up and just running great. The leaks have inexplicably stopped. <laughs> and it runs so good in the sunshine. And you just think, this is awesome. I love this car. Sometimes that those moments are, you know, fewer than others, but yeah, yeah, that's the true. emotion is definitely in play because if you love your car, you're going to be willing to put up with that kind of stuff. True. And, and the flip side is that nothing undermines car love. You have a car you've loved for the whole last three years I've owned it, but the last three months it's been terrible. You don't love that car much anymore. Yeah. It's and amazing back, how that shifts things. Right. You can't just definitively say in a comment on YouTube, such and such car is just going to be unreliable. No, nope, they haven't. They've been the best cars we've owned. That's the thing. You can buy the car that everybody thinks is going to be reliable and get one that for some reason isn't and vice versa. So I think our response at this point to those kinds of comments really is buy something you love then. Mm -hmm. If we don't know, if ultimately the answer is it could or it couldn't and we don't know, then it might as well be something that you like looking at and love driving. Absolutely. And it comes back to that thing you and I talk about a lot and that is you can change your car out. Mm-hmm. We're also conditioned. I'm yeah. buying this because it has to be my car for the next five years, but it doesn't really. If you get into a car and you thought it was awesome and six months in, it's terrible. Get rid of the car. Also make friends with somebody who has a lift in their garage and a bunch of, of tools. <laughs> Never know when that'll be helpful. You've heard us talk about drive homework because it's vital to drive a lot of things when trying to find your next car. Knowing your options is important. This applies to online shopping, too. You don't want to search just one website unless that site is searching all of the other ones for you. That's why we love Auto Tempest. I know you've heard us talk about it before, and we hope you've already seen how far you can shop with just one search. Auto Tempest pulls from all the top used car sites at once, so you know you won't miss a deal on that perfect car. Autotempest.com. All the cars. One search. Rami writes to us, As an enthusiast dad who needs an outlet... He is in Texas, and he says, on to his first world problem debate. He annoys himself with his wishy-washy car debates in his head and changes his mind almost daily, sometimes twice a day. Rami, it's just you. None of the rest of us have this problem. That seems rather infrequent. I mean, the rest of us are like (laughs) every 10 minutes. (laughs) I'm in the middle of doing something. This happens every single day. I'm not kidding you. I'm in the middle of doing something for the show, and some random car I don't have any intention of buying will float across my my headspace. I'll be like... One of those are running right now. And now I'm on auto tempest looking at my, and half hour goes. I'm like, what am I doing? <laughs> at least we've had a Phaeton and a Maserati. We have. At that, least. That, we've solved those problems for sure. Well, Rami has ample garage space and he has a wife that goes along with his ideas. Oh, wow. They currently own a 2016 Porsche Cayenne for his wife. That's their out of town vehicle purchased based on the review of Todd, your personal Cayenne. I'm glad. That's great. His wife absolutely loves it. They also have a 2004 Land Cruiser for towing duty, seven-person carrying capabilities, usually when his growing 13-year-old daughter wants to bring many of her friends along. <laughs> it's the only okay. seats that those are good for is small people. So 13-year-old <laughs> daughter, yeah. That's not, a, that's not a big seven-person car. But anyway, onward. He says bad weather days, dirt bike hauling, curb hopping, mm-hmm. and some road trips as well. You know, they want to carry stuff or get dirty. Rami also has a 1990 Miata. He's owned since 1998. Hmm. 
It's been turbocharged for the past 20 of those years with him. Wow. He occasionally autocrosses it. He used to do it often, but he says now it's just kind of once in a while, and now he just does the back road drives with friends. He rarely ever takes it out of town. It's got a hard top on it most of the time, but it still makes him smile every time he drives it. Love that. That's great. He's owned a Lexus GS for the past 11 years. And again, based on our advice, he's thinking of selling it. Who wants to buy a Lexus GS? We don't know the year. If I'm thinking of selling it, it's time to sell it, as we tell exactly. it. And you're right. That's exactly where you're at. If you're acknowledging that, guess mm-hmm. what time it is. But he does say it's been a wonderful car. He's got 217,000 miles on it, and he drives it daily, which means in today's market, the value has just shot right up. <laughs> GS has never been worth more than Especially right now. 217,000 miles, that adds like five grand in value right there. His commute is short, but it's such a great city car as it's reliable, comfortable, quiet, looks good, and he can carry stuff. Mm. And people, he says, school pickups usually involve a friend or two or three coming home with them. Okay. But it's not fun, and he's ready for a new experience. Love it. Okay, good. So what does he buy? In the past, he has owned three Mark IV Supras. Ooh. The last one had over 700 horsepower. Made money on that car. Sorry. <laughs> <Yeah>. What? <laughs> no, kidding. He loved the idea of these cars. But he said it was too fast for the street. Mm. They looked amazing, got attention. They were reliable. 700 horsepower, reliable. Wow. He says it wasn't just getting a ticket. He was going to jail if he <laughs> made it past third gear. <laughs> that is a problem with a car that powerful. So that's, he said it was useless. Mm-hmm. He sold his last one. What made financial sense to use the money more wisely than a car that made his garage look pretty. As I'm sure it did. Hopefully none of us buy cars to make mm-hmm. our garages look pretty. And he also tried an air-cooled 911 for a while. He says it was fun, but too loud with road noise. And he said it didn't do anything his Miata didn't do. So that got sold. That is so interesting, Rami. I fully agree with you. That is the thing. The, the perception of everyone in cardom on the internet mm-hmm. would be if you have an, an air-cooled 911 in your garage and an NA Miata, you got to take the 911. But the sad reality is driving fun Mm. Rami has said the Miata was as good or better. That is controversial, but I think I back your play there. The Airco 911s are very special. They are. But the reputation, Paul and I debate this so often you don't even know. The reputation of what's supposed to be a fun car versus what is actually a fun car. There's not the division you think there is. It's one of the things I like so much about this cheap sports car challenge and all the ones we just put together. You must have said it three or four times on that shoot, Paul. We'd be in one of these cars, the Z3, mm-hmm. which was broken down on the interior, but surprisingly fun to drive. Yeah. And you kept saying to me, you were like, what is the percentage between <laughs> this broken down 4,800-pound Z3 as far as fun driving on this road and a brand new McLaren, Ferrari? <laughs> well, I started Porsche? out just joking, and now I actually really want to know. Yeah. What is the, per- the exact? I want statistics. <laughs> I want evaluations. I want hard data. We were flying down that road on a great day, top down, having a blast in a car that to look at it, you'd be like, well, that can't be any fun. But if we were being chased by somebody in a hyper car, are they actually having more? They look like they're having more they fun. They look like it. Are they having more fun? They might sound like it. Well, Rami says this brings him to his question. He does want something fun that can take the place of his Lexus and make him smile. The Civic Type R sounds good on paper, but he can't get over the looks from the rear. None of us can. Now, Don't worry about that. That's the problem with that car right there. You're yeah. looking at the wrong spot on the car. Focus RS, he says, too much of an image of a kid and a regular Focus. He doesn't yeah. want it to be an image thing, but unfortunately it is. He All doesn't right. want to stand out too much. He also doesn't want to give the image of a high school kid or boring basic transportation. Mm, all right. 
I mean, you know, it's not the worst thing in the world. But I see, I see where you're at. I see. Well, coming from the GS, I see where you're sure, at. You've got okay, right. kind of an executive four door with a little bit of, of flavor about it. I, I see where you are. Okay. He likes the idea of a Tesla lowered with wheels. Ugh, hopefully not in white. It could fit his needs and make him happy. <laughs> do they make them in color other than white? They might not. They, they do actually. It's just that's the only price, the one you don't pay extra for. That's right. Yeah, white. You have to pay for the pigment in the paint. Mm-hmm. Elon yeah. charges you for everything. That, we yeah. were actually ranting about Elon. That full self-driving is $10,000 and isn't full self-driving. Yes, robots now. Have you heard? Raising, yeah, Tesla bot. Don't Dancing get me started. Robots. Moving on. To the M3, he's scared of repairs. He's not sure he makes him, it makes him smile enough while looking at it. Mm, okay. He had a Macan as a loner for a few weeks, and they liked it, but they don't really need two Porsches SUVs in the family. Two Porsche SUVs. I agree. Don't do that. What? Don't do that. In spite of what Paul says, don't uh, buy two Porsche SUVs. They're very good. Don't do that. I Well, okay. Alpha Julia, they like it, but they, he doesn't want it to be at the dealer too often. Mm. Talking about reliability. Lexus ISF, he doesn't think it will be enough of a different experience. Did he mention he loves reliability? Well, he mm. just did. He could spend up to $50,000, but he could be happy with a cheaper car and use that money for experiences or something else. Big cars don't do it for Romney. So he's in this conundrum of small and nimble and fun and agile, but still room for teenagers in the back. The, the key thing that I take from this, Romney, is the fact that what are we replacing in your garage? We're replacing your GS. That is a good full-size sedan. It is four seats, four doors. So in spite of the fact that you like little stuff, that is the car we're replacing. And so I stayed in stuff in a similar size. Oh, because as the GS? Similar size than the GS. still pretty big. Still a, maybe a little smaller. I, I'm going for more agile stuff across the board. I think stuff you'll enjoy driving more than your GS. But I'm looking at how you use it. It's a commute car. Yeah. It's a pickup kids from the school car. Yeah. It's a groceries car. It is the, you have the little tiny light thing already in the Miata. Your wife has the fun, sporty SUV, and you have the seven-seat SUV hauler. The car you do need to fill the gap for is a worthwhile sedan. So I stayed mm. in worthwhile sedans. A little bit smaller than what you're dealing in. <laughs> worthwhile I, sedan land. Mm-hmm. Love it. One thing you do have to drive. Please go drive it. Just, just trust me. Go drive it. Alpha Julia Quadrifolio. Go drive one. I mean, he was saying. I, he I said you're worried about dealer. you're worried about the the maintenance, and honestly. Every time we talk on this podcast about somebody with a problem, Alpha Julian, it's happened. We will get at least two emails from people that will talk about how theirs is amazing. Which kind of outweighs the naysayers. So it's interesting. There's, there's, that car absolutely has issues. There have been people that have had issues. But I, I don't want you to take away. What I feel like happened is car and driver bought one, and they ran it for 40,000 miles, and it was a money pit. A Julia Quadrifolio. Right. And I feel like that became the stamp on the industry for, oh, shouldn't buy one of those. But I'll also tell you this. Car and Driver had a high-mile, sorry, a 40,000-mile C7Z06 they bought that got an engine replaced at under 10,000 miles. <clears throat> so That's a problem. And, and those cars, I'm going to tell you to buy one all day long. Yeah, true. Okay? True. So I, I know that there are horror stories out there, but... Don't don't keep yourself from a car that could be really fun. Drive the base one, which I don't think is going to be powerful enough for you, but drive it anyway. And drive a Quadrifolio and ask yourself, do I want this car? Because I think you might. But assuming you don't, I have two for you right now that I think are really good contenders. And then I have a car that I think you should just get. The two to contend are, look at a used Cadillac ATS. 
Oh. Now, the Q system is uh, love or probably hate. It's not a great system. It's mostly hate. Interface. Yeah. Some people don't like the styling. I actually think it's a really good-looking car. But that Alpha platform also underpins the Camaro. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. an agile platform anyway. And then you can get it with MagnaRide. True, true. That is a sedan that no one will understand why it handles so well. You will be taking people. You want to take that to autocross? Why not? <laughs> you show okay. up and that people like, dang. Yes, absolutely. So Bring it Cadillac up. ATS used or new Genesis G70. Now, because Ooh. you're picking up teenagers in the back and they're not huge teenagers, teenage girls, I think the back seats will be big enough. If you were picking up my six foot four son who plays basketball, the G70 is not going to work. True. But Genesis G70 is a fantastic agile car. It is a great alternative to the GS you've had. I think you would thoroughly enjoy that car. But you know what you don't have? Mm. Any American representative. (laughs) And you talk about you want something that looks like Ah, an adult's car. Here it comes. Yes. Here it comes. You want something that looks like an adult's car. You want something that's a little bit subtle, but it has to have performance and get you interested. Why why aren't you shopping for a Chevy SS? Because on the upside yeah. is also the downside. They look like a Chevy Malibu. Nobody's going to look at that and be like, well, what is Rami driving? That's, that thing is flash. But get that. Now, six-speed or auto, either way. I don't know which one is better for your life. Of course, I want you to get a six-speed, but it doesn't matter. Either way, get the one with the Magna Ride. That is, Chevy said it, and as much as it's marketing speak, I believe it. That car is the four-door Corvette. It has a lot of space. It is fantastic to drive. And you can just drive it normally like a sedan and nobody notices and who cares? Please get a color. But then if you want to hoon that car, plenty of power, great dynamics, and it's a Chevy, which means it's just going to run. And if you need parts for it, they're out there. Chevy SS, man. Rami, you've mostly described 911s. When you say you want something amazing, (laughs) backseat, but there's very little backseat space. So let's throw those out. Plus, you've had one already. In worthwhile sedan land. Oh, good. I, I, I do like that land. We're going to sell shirts. We're, we're still in that land. Yeah. I also recommend the Genesis G70. Sexy. But I want you to go for the new one. Mm, with the updated styling? Okay. Yeah, yeah. I like that one a lot okay. better. Right. And we love the Genesis platform. We love mm-hmm. everything about that car. I think you would really get a kick out of it. I think you would also love the Volvo V60 T8 hybrid with all the goodies. Yeah, that's that would really surprise you. That's a sleeper sedan right there. You chose the SS. I did. And I do acknowledge that. But there is this car from GM they've introduced as the last of the last of the last of the last. Sure. Of the last. Mm -hmm. How about a CT4 Blackwing? What's the budget on that? Well, they start at $61,000, so I'm really screwing your budget. But that's what I do. Sounds cool, though. Sounds amazing. But manual, even though the SS is manual, I realize that. But it's the new Cadillac, and Mm -hmm. it's the last of the last of the last. It is, for sure, yeah. Supposedly. And the best part is, when you pick up your teenage daughter... She can tell her friends, come quick, dad's doing Cadillac roasting tire thing with his car. Come on, you got to see it. And you're out there just blasting through your rear tires. Yes, you can't even see Robbie anymore. It's just smoke is all it is. I'm picking up the kids, second gear. I so want to see you sitting still in the pickup line with the front wheels locked off while the back wheels just send smoke into the air. You will not be asked back. I'm just letting you know. That is not appropriate for the pickup line, but please do it anyway. They're more expensive than an SS. They are. I like them better than the SS. Haven't driven one at this point. We have not uh, experienced those. Rami, I didn't like the CT4, the standard one. If you watch our test drive video on that car. That was subtle, the way you just said that. You were being kind. There were things edited out. Yeah. I... (laughs) 
<laughs> yes. Keep in mind when you watch that piece mm. that some of the worst of it didn't make the cut. Ooh. Yeah. But the black, I'll give the black wing to you. I'll, all right. Very cool. Even if the build quality is still not quite as where I want it to be and trim is aligned, trim pieces are aligned, then nice. uh, manual, cool. I think that could be a consideration. But I think worthwhile sedan land could still be too big. So I backed okay. off and I went with the BMW M2 competition. Don't Ooh. think you can get those for 50 grand. So then I backed off even more back to the M240i. Sure. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Because they're small. You can mm-hmm. fit people in the back seat. It's mm-hmm. got a genuine truck. It's a car. It mm-hmm. started as a car. It started yeah. life as a car. Just and then they just two sedan. made it yeah. better. Mm-hmm. So this is really what I'm thinking about for you. And I, I do love that because you can find those for under $50,000. You can have a little bit of money left over. You could even go to the performance driving school in South Carolina. If you wanted to mm-hmm. experience BMWs on track and come away with a greater appreciation for the brand for BMWs and know what your car could do. I think you'd really enjoy that car. So 240i mm. for me, I like Rami that. for you, but That's nevertheless, good. please let us know what you end up buying. And if you've got your debate like Rami, write to us everyday driver TV at gmail.com, or you can find us on the website where you're entering the opportunity drawing. Yes, you are for the cheap sports cars. Lots of updated information about uh, future meetups and uh, all that kind of stuff. Hey guys, it's summertime again. And when the weather gets hot, it's time for custom sunscreens and dash covers from our friends at Covercraft. UVS 100 custom sunscreens are made to exactly fit inside your windshield for maximum protection from the sun. They're durable and sturdy for years of dependable use. There's a wide variety of colors and styles available, including original, premier series, and Carhartt. They also have dash mat custom dash covers. They're custom fitted to your dash for complete protection from the sun. These reduce road glare when driving and complement your interior with a large selection of colors and styles, including the original carpet dash mat, the suede mat, the velour mat, and the extremely popular limited edition. Whatever sunscreen, dash cover, or car cover you choose, remember to use the code EVERYDAY21 at checkout to receive a 10% discount and free shipping from Covercraft.com specifically for our audience. Follow the link from our sponsors page or go directly to Covercraft.com for high-quality products that keep your vehicles protected and looking their best. Covercraft, protecting the things that move you. Guys, lots of great questions as always. Thank you for writing in on with great questions. I, I never really know where they're going to go. It doesn't matter what we ask about. You guys are all, all over the place. I love that. I'm going to start right here with Facebook. Becca Walker says she's driving a BRZ in automatic because she drives it in New York City. Good for you. I know you've written about this car before. I love it. She's always had it on the Michelin AS3 tires, which was a, is a very good all-season. That's actually the tire that came on mine when I bought mine used. They didn't have the Primacies on it. It had the AS3s, and they were pretty solid. She said the way she drives, she never approaches the edges of grips for the tires, which has her wondering. She's being infected by all those journalists <laughs> sliding around in the new one. <laughs> yeah. Should she get a set of the slippery Primacy tires so she could start slipping easier and would it get her better experience of car balance and car control? Hmm. Becca? Hmm. I think not. Really? Here's, here's why. I think not. Here's why. The AS3 is not nearly as sticky and grippy as if you'd gotten the, I had PS2s or if you got now the PS4s. They're not nearly that grippy. But they are better than the Primacies. For sure. Which for makes sure. them far more versatile for real life. My concern with the Primacy is this. Yes the car will slide around more. But that means all four wheels will slide around more. True. It's and not I just think the rears. you're going to find yeah. yourself in a situation where you find that car understeering and it is less confidence-inspiring in the normal driving that you do. 
if you have a place, because you're not going to do it on a commute anyway, if you have a place where you could get the car sideways, huge empty parking lots or something, where you know you could take it and do that on the AS3s, because I found them surprisingly controllable, much better than the Primacies, and better, not perfect, watch our actual initial tire swap that we did on my orange FRS, that video is online. What you want is you want the front to stick when you throw the car in and you want the back to slide. Mm-hmm. When you have tires that don't have much grip, guess what happens? The front still wants to slide. You turn the wheel and guess what? The front is now sliding and now you're understeering and this is unfun. And because that original BRZ FRS doesn't have a ton of power, you can't just do the overpower thing and you just hit, give it the rear so much power, it just perfectly overpowers tires. It's harder to do. So I think... In your day-to-day life, stay on the AS3s, then find a place that has enough space that you can actually throw the car around. I think you will enjoy the controllable nature of those tires. It will teach you that, but then you won't have anything to worry about in commute situations. I think one of the things that you and I have discovered about doing what we do, and that is the ability to to sample different tires, and not just on our own cars, but the variety of cars we drive and then various driving events. I want some kind of similarity for Becca. Mm. I mean, to the point of Becca, I almost want you to go buy a used set of primacies if you can find them Mm. just Mm. to throw them on, just so you can feel the difference, just so you know what we're talking about and come away going, Oh, I can see that massive difference. You know, don't go buy a new set. I am with Todd because when we're, you know, first starting to drive, it's just, these are my tires. I've got to have them for as long as possible. These are my only tires. I can just afford this one set of tires. I got to take care of these tires. And now we're sort of like, tires, let's switch tires, let's change tires, let's Absolutely. feel that, and let's feel the minutia between the tire block squish, you know, and the totally siping, whatever that That's is. great. So I, I almost want you to <laughs> go find some sort of, not shredded, but slightly used set of primacies mm. just as your own test. Sure. Just so you can come back to, wow, the difference is astonishing, mm-hmm. but I don't know how to do that. And yeah. and. Uh, Back, I'm using you as an, as an example. I want everybody to experience that, yeah. and what we've, we've been able to experience, because it's so hard, because then you'll drive another car, but the characteristics are different, and so it's not apples to apples. And, and this, you hit on something great, because we've had people ride us before, and they had a high-performance tire on their car, and they, they only have a set of tires, and they just went and bought a lower-performance tire, and now they realize, I just spent a bunch of money on tires, and I don't like them. Right. And I don't know what your, right. your situation is, Becca, with having the ability to have extra wheels or whatever. Paul's right in that the perfect thing here is you keep your current tires and you swap for something else to just see, but now you're swapping wheels back and forth. Can you do all yeah. that? I don't know. Because there's nothing worse than buying a set of tires to find that they're not as good as you hoped for. And now we all feel this pressure for, oh, now I just got to stay on these until they're done. I mean, it's either find videos and watch them of us or other people talking about the differences between tires or you go believe the advertising. Mm. You have no other option to go to some event and say, ah, back to back in the same car, same wheel size, same car. Wow. I can really feel the difference on that turn in and I am two seconds slower around that whatever, mm. you know? So that's why journalists and you know car manufacturers put together these tests, but ultimately you have to believe them. Mm-hmm. You have to believe us. I mean, you don't have to, but you know what I mean? And I, I desperately want you to feel that. And so I'm not saying throw your money away, but it's such an astonishing difference that will give you a finer appreciation and understanding about what you're looking for out of your tires. And again, I'm using you as an, and as example, example, sure, sure, yeah, I'm yeah. talking to everybody, all of us, because I wish I were able to do that because 
when I was buying tires for the, you know the Honda Accord, I'm going, well, I, here's my budget, and I, mm-hmm. I hope they're good. I hope they do what it says. Yeah, yeah. I don't really know. I don't have any way of knowing, and I can't afford to buy a second set to compare. On Facebook, Seth K says, who at the manufacturer <laughs> comes up with the model code? <laughs> I think he wants them fired is where this is going. <laughs> who does this? Who's responsible? It comes down to a person, right? For any given car generation, engine or chassis, how do they come up with these codes? Well, I come to you with a story, Seth, and that is from my tech days. Working for Autodesk and a particular software called Alias Auto Studio, it's one of two softwares on the planet that you use if you're a car company and you're creating cars. It is the exterior Class A surface, and Class A just refers to the finished production exterior surfaces, and really it's just a relationship between the manufacturer and the people building the car and stamping the surfaces or making those surfaces, you want those reflections and highlights to be perfect regardless of panel gap. Okay. So the reflections run through perfectly. The other software is made by Dassault Systems. It's Isom Surf under the 3DS brand. But at Alias, the developers would go to a pub called Betty's. It's on King Street. It's at 240 <laughs> King Street. Anybody in Toronto know Betty's? I think it's still there. But whatever IPA struck them as the next beer that they all liked as a team after work, that's what they would name the next release of the software. Oh, my gosh. That's funny. So okay. the next generation of software would be named the new IPA. Drinking games. Speak, you know, <laughs> elephant beer or what, whatever that was. And that was the internal code for it. It's based on nothing. But that's what the team came up with. In 1938, the in-house Porsche design office of father-son team Ferdinand and Ferry named one of their internally funded projects the F-Wagon. <laughs> Not really creative, but there's an F in there. And We had four wagons prior. This is the F-Wagon. Yes. F, okay, we're going that. So chassis and engine codes can be named after things or distinct measurements that make that particular chassis unique or the engine unique by power output or by size or a particular component of that engine. So the crank is a certain size, and so we named it that. Yeah, yeah. Or a neighborhood like Zuffenhausen or... More important things like the Dodge Omni GLHS goes like hell some more. <laughs> that was Carol Shelby's Only Carol Shelby it. could get away with that. That's amazing to me that that's what that was called. So sometimes we'll never know. Other times, you know, we'll read history books and find out, oh, that's why they named it. And it was usually something kind of dumb or mm-hmm. sort of silly, and but everybody remembered it yeah. and it stuck. Yeah. Every car company has those distinct Here's the platforms, and this means that. You know, BMW is famous for it. But every car company does it, but it's usually based on just something random. CutlerCollin99 says, how do, we, how do you approach a private seller that is uneasy letting you take their for-sale car to get a pre-purchase inspection? He said the seller is essentially of the demeanor of, look, I don't know you, and so you taking that car for that long for pre-purchase inspection concerns me. Okay, um, different owners are going to have different level of comfort, and that's hard. You want a pre-purchase inspection, and that is your right and absolutely something you should stand on. There's two ways to approach this, and I've, do, I've done both. You can have them go do it. You call and arrange for it at a mechanic that you call randomly somewhere near them, and you just say, I'm going to have this car brought in. And they go, and they take it, and they do the pre-purchase inspection, and they wait with their car, and they take it home, and then you call the garage, and you get the results. Mm. I like that. If they're willing to do it without you going and they're willing to do it for you, that is one way to do it. If you want to feel like you're a part of it and you're, you're sacrificing your time like you're asking them to, then you meet them there. Mm-hmm. Will you meet mm-hmm. me at this garage? Now, you're going to be standing there with however long it takes 
doing small talk with the owner, <laughs> hoping that the pre-purchase inspection comes back well, which is why I prefer the thing with, are you willing to take it for me? That at least solves the problem. In fact, when I bought my Lotus, I did this. The pre-purchase inspection was going to take most of the day. For Unfortunately, the only lo- near Lotus tech was at the Rolls-Royce dealer. It was expensive, but that owner... <laughs> had I, the Rolls-Royce people yeah. look at my sports car. The, the only good thing is I actually found a... The dealer was actually pretty close to him. Mm. And so what he did is he actually drove the car there in the morning and had his wife, or I don't, maybe it wasn't even an Uber, he just went home for the day. And went on about his day and just left it there for the day. <laughs> and they did the pre-purchase inspection. And then he picked it up that evening. You know, guy doesn't have to wait with it. He picked it up that evening. And then I got the report. So that's how we did that one because I was out of town. Freedom Van on Twitter says, question for both of us. What era of American car design is our favorite? 20s, 40s, 50s? I love this question, as a matter of fact. And I think it's the post-war optimism. I think it's mm. the Corvette that we drove, that 54 okay. Even though the Corvette, the first one was 53, but the 54 still had the rocket fins on the taillights. How did that discussion go? (laughs) They're sharp (laughs) and they're moving quick. And that was what was in everybody's mind in America at that time. Mm -hmm. Rockets, the NASA space program. Mm -hmm. Let's take inspiration from that. And they made little fins on the taillights. On everything. To look like rockets. Yep. Okay, sure. I like it because... That kind of thing will never, ever be done again. The Finns era, mm. which is functionally useless. <laughs> Unnecessary. <laughs> totally. It's like fake vents on modern cars. Yeah. Totally. But that is the height of manifestation of fashion in cars. Mm-hmm. That'll be never done again because you look at all the European cars at the time, just little, tiny, clean, yeah, simple surfaces. Yeah. Not a lot of flair, but I I love them because the surfaces are so gorgeous. Mm -hmm. Americans are doing fins and rockets and fireworks and all this stuff. I just, I appreciate it because of that creativity and because of that letting loose. And it's a rare thing in design. That's cool. I actually have two. One of them I can think of is the mid-30s to mid-40s. That's when the Packards were huge with long noses, when Cadillac was doing the big V16s with the hood that went for days. There's like a hood the size of a Honda Civic in front of you. It's a dance floor up there. Seriously. And then the back, they had, you know, like real major wood and really comfortable seats. And they were like luxurious wagons with this huge engine up front. (laughs) Yeah, true. That fascinates me because that was one of those never come again moments. And then I also love the 60s because I feel like everybody was killing it in the 60s. Europeans, the Americans, everybody's design in the 60s was just, what did you do now? Because we hadn't gotten to crash standards yet, mm-hmm. but we'd kind of released all of the, this is what a car should look like. And it was this weird free-for-all. Also in the U.S., of course, we were making big stuff. But you get the Mustang, you get all of the, the uh, muscle cars of that era in the late 60s. I mean, come on, that stuff's awesome. <laughs> Nathaniel G. on Facebook says, what's the closest experience to a 911 without actually getting a 911? <laughs> yes, I hate this question. He, he presented it directly to you, yes. With a 911 on track, you can break later than anybody else on track. Because as soon as you dive that nose in, the back end of the car is still being pushed to the ground. Mm -hmm. That's the 911 trick. Now, mid-corner, you need to be kind of neutral throttle, unless you want to hang the tail out, or maybe you're not good enough and you're going to swap ends (laughs) at corner exit. Mm, There's some, some, uh, yeah. But the party trick of the 911 is braking later than everyone, because the back end of the car has so much weight back Mm. there. That just gets you there faster, hopefully through the corner a little bit faster. Almost every other mid-engine car is kind of the closest, but to be honest, there's nothing really like that feeling. 
mid-engine cars kind of get there, but then it, you're dealing with you know the weight of the car and different forces, you yeah. know that kind of thing. But they otherwise. are the only rear engine that you're going to drive quickly like that, which is pretty really fascinating. Is. Yeah. B. Swinsky had a question that initially I was like, nope, can't, isn't possible, but I've been thinking about it some more. Is there another option besides voting with your wallet to let manufacturers know you appreciate what they're doing? He's concerned. He says he loves the new GR86, but he just he can't swallow the idea of depreciation of buying a new car. Mm. First off, uh, the only real way to do this, the most direct way to say, please make more of these, is we buy them new. This is why the world is plagued with five seat boring sameness SUVs because Plagued. this this is this <laughs> is not what wrong. everyone is buying yeah. as fast as the automakers can make them. This is what all pretty much all of the most popular cars being sold are either pickups and it used to be pickups and then things like the Camry and Accord. Camry and Accord are sliding down that list steadily, even though they're still very popular. Yeah. It's still now pickups and five seat SUVs. And this is why everybody's going, we could make another one because everyone is buying them new. That is I'm going to say 85% of the way to convince manufacturers what to make. That other 15%, I know you love percentages, Paul. I'm I do. Bring the other it. 15% is what happened with the Supra. Okay. It's when a car is used, but it is so loved in used form that people are buying them, values are going up, people are asking for parts for them, they're trying to make them back to how they were stock. I need an old part for this or that, or I want to keep this car living because it's so awesome. Manufacturers do care about that. That's just the whole reason the Supra came back. I guarantee you, having not heard this from Toyota, but I, I'm going to put my foot down right now. I guarantee you, if the Fast and Furious four, fourth gen Supra had died and Fast and Furious had never come along, we would not have a Supra right now. I think you're right. They on watched that. 10 years later, that I car suddenly right. spikes into the public consciousness, and the Toyota as a company kind of went, we should maybe make a Supra, shouldn't we? Mm. Balasbone on Instagram says, what is the simplest performance daily driver made in the past five years? Everybody's saying Miata, but I wonder if it's the 86. (laughs) I really do. Because simplest, to me, that means lightweight, but that's by virtue of less intrusive stuff, less Mm -hmm. tech, Mm -hmm. less additional features to add onto your car that make it have you know power yeah, yeah, whatever yeah, sure so as far as simplest like the stripped down just the recipe mm. oh toyota's kind of got that one locked up but what i hope is that it shows other car companies especially with the second generation that you too can come back to this market you too can mm-hmm. enter this and there's still room for enthusiasts to like your products and buy them and maybe it makes them buy a minivan for the family while they buy this one too mm. that's what i think has changed Everything about the the perception of buying, because it used to be auto manufacturers building the Halo sports car, the Audi R8. We all yeah, want an R8, yeah, yeah. so mm-hmm. come to your auto dealer, and hey, they make SUVs too. But now, let's do it with the cheap cars. What if manufacturers started going in that direction? Mm. Maybe you need a pickup truck. Maybe not. Nevertheless, we have sports cars. They're yeah, lightweight and small everything. and cheap. And we've got other stuff too. Just depends on your needs. Shop around, take your time. We'll be here. <laughs> You're in a fantasy realm, but I like that dealer a lot. That's awesome. <laughs> B1 Instagram 3 says he believes that I had Firestone Indy 500 tires at some point. I did. I had them on my Lotus Elise. He said, How do we feel about them on a car? He says, specifically his FRS, be mostly used on the street. I think it'd be great. Now, those tires, I have heard uh, various people have different experiences on them based on how heavy their car is. People with heavier mm. cars seem to not like them as much. I have heard that. But uh, on the FRS, I think they'd be great. Now, on the Lotus, Lotus weighs nothing. 
it was a kind of middle ground tire on the Lotus. It wasn't nearly as good as the super sticky and wow, I wear down fast. Oh, oh, 52 Yokohamas <laughs> I have on there now, which are amazing, but it was a really solid uh, tire on that car. They're not that expensive. Here's the thing. I have seen that the prices are climbing a bit and they're starting to nip at the heels of things like the good Michelin PS fours. If they're going to cost you as much as a PS4, get a PS4. If you can do them as a value tire, I think it's an excellent tire. If you're a street driver, I think you're going to like them. Compliments to all of you on questions as usual. We really appreciate it. And opportunity drawing still at everydaydriver.com. <laughs> you just like saying that. It's just fun. <laughs> We're always looking forward to next time. Cheers, everyone. <laughs>